inherently, it is part of the fabric of this country to assume by the police and others that anytime there's a black man in a situation, he's guilty. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Presumed guilty. Pr- pr- well, he's guilty. Mm. And, and the police person acts as jury and judge and justice and... And sometimes executioner. And executioner. Mm-hmm. That was Gregory Walker, global creative director of the Brothers Network. I'm Flood the Drummer, and this is Drumming for Justice. It's Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Five Harlem teenagers were arrested the night of April 19th, 1989, and soon thereafter were wrongfully accused of raping 28-year-old Central Park jogger Trisha Miley. That quintet became known around the world as the Central Park Five. The story of a middle-class white woman brutally beaten and raped by a gang of animalistic teens captivated the city already on edge due to the prevalence of violent crime. The rape was characterized by some as the crime of the century. A sometimes rambunctious gaggle of reporters called the teens thugs, animals, and likened them to a wolf pack who were wiling in Central Park. Even Mr. Donald J. Trump, then a real estate mogul and budding socialite, spent over $80,000 on newspaper ads calling on the boys to receive the death penalty. The teens in 1990 were convicted of the crime despite there being no eyewitnesses, contradicting confessions of which all appeared to have been coerced, and most importantly, no DNA linking them to the rape. Four of the boys spent roughly seven years in jail, while one, Mr. Corey Wise, who was 16 at the time, served 13 years. The Central Park Five were exonerated in 2002 when a prisoner, Mateus Reyes, who was serving time with Mr. Wise, confessed to the crime. Mr. Reyes's DNA was a perfect match to the semen found in the sock at the crime scene. The five convictions were vacated and the charges withdrawn in 2002. Now young men, Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Youssef Salam, Coy Wise, and Antron McRae sued the city of New York for malicious prosecution and emotional distress. In 2014, they were awarded $41 million. The story of the Central Park Five is permeating the headlines once again, this time due to Ava DuVernay's Netflix miniseries, When They See Us, which debuted on the streaming platform last Friday, the 31st of May. Now, I watched the miniseries on Sunday and I I was uh, teary-eyed. To be candid, it it fucked me up. As I wrote on Monday for Apple News, When They See Us is a painful portrait of an enduring American practice, that American practice being the malicious prosecution of black men and boys. My friend and regular collaborator, Gregory Walker, lived and worked in New York City in April of 1989 as a Bellevue Hospital administrator. He vividly remembers the case and the news media surrounding it. 
So uh, Mr. Walker, who now runs a nonprofit organization in Philadelphia that uses art to change the way uh, to change the way the world views black men, was the perfect person to talk to about this. We met and chatted on Tuesday afternoon in Rittenhouse Square Park. Here's that conversation. The Central Park Five, uh, or I should say the raping of the Central Park jogger, was labeled in the media as the crime of the century. But I, I thought the crime of the century was O.J. Simpson with the Gold Brown Simpson, but whatever. Well, I mean, th- that happened before then, didn't it? Like, this was 89, 90. I yeah. think O.J. Well, didn't happen in 93 and Yeah, but that was the century. It's 100 years. It's That's what I was thinking. Years, right? I mean, let me say in this. context of whenever everything that happened a, in Whenever there's an issue involving a black man, <laughs> it is the crime of the century. Yeah. Right? I'm sorry, go on. No, I was just, no, I, to your point, it was just that we're talking about, you know, 89, 1989 going into the 1990s. Mm-hmm. You have 90 years prior to... Yeah, mm-hmm. the raping of a white woman, the alleged raping of a white woman by five black teens was the worst crime <laughs> of the century in the entire country. I mean, there were a lot of things. Again, that it was a lot of hyperbole in the media coverage that I saw, you know, going on. Um, but it seemed to climax at, at, at some point with with Donald Trump and the the um, the, the, the mini series. He was a businessman in New York City. Who was, who was a businessman in New York City. But by the way, how old were you at the time at this happened? I would rather not say. You would rather not say. <laughs> but you were there. You were a working adult in, in New York correct. in 1989. That's correct. You, you were aware of Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely. He, were you surprised by the New, the $85,000 he spent for the New York uh, Times ad, the ad in, in four of the New York City newspapers? And by the way, he was calling for the death penalty. That is correct. Uh, was I surprised? I've understood racism and white racism and, and racism in particular from white males who are incompetent. <laughs> I've understood that for a very long time, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the story I was telling in the beginning. Right. Um, so, no, I wasn't surprised. Were you enraged? I wasn't enraged because that's what I expect from white supremacists. Mm. So you thought of or knew that Donald Trump was a white supremacist even then? Well, you know, you know you're a businessman. Why are you involved in this critical case on this mm. level to take out an $85,000 ad? You know, at that time, he was trying to build his reputation to be a socialite, which mm-hmm. his first wife helped him do in many ways. And it seemed off course. Okay. You know, he somehow was offended in this case uh, and in this situation by the fact that there was a, an alleged molestation and rape of a white woman by black men, which has long been the way in which white supremacists have operated with this notion, mm-hmm. uh, going back to Emmett Till, mm-hmm. he was a- accused mm-hmm. of you know, whistling at a white woman when in fact he had a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So this was nothing new in terms of a white male who's racist taking out a full page ad to convince and sway individuals to say that black men in fact are dangerous. Yeah. They should not be allowed in public spaces. Mm-hmm. Right? And and all white women should be afraid of a black man. And white men should protect the white woman. Mm. This is a trope that has been exercised. But Donald for- Trump didn't see himself as a white a protector at the point. He was trying to assert himself into a national conversation, I assume, to do what he does now is to get attention. I assume. I don't see Donald Trump as being a man of particular valor who said, who just saw this woman and said, you know, hey, I, I think I need to stick up and say something because if I don't, these boys might get off. So let me be heroic. I think he was trying to be uh, provocateur uh, and trying to make everything about him. You know, this is pre-social media. No. It wasn't provocateur. It was really an intentionality around race and racism and exercising his white male privilege. You don't think he was being a provocateur? No, I think he was intentional 
in taking out a full-page ad in a case that was pending mm -hmm. to label these people wild and crazy. Mm -hmm. In the same way what we see what he did with Barack Obama, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Questioning the president's, the president, when I mean Barack Obama, his, his origin of birth. Mm. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump doesn't realize that there's the continental 48 states and then there's the two that are Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> so his intention was to mm -hmm. dismantle Uh, the authenticity of the president, which was the same in 1989. Mm. He only sees black men in one way, and mm -hmm. that is as wild and as crazy. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think about the fact that uh, as, as recent as, you know, last year, Donald Trump says he still believes those boys did it? Uh, he also believes Barack Obama was not <laughs> born in the United States. But I guess he does also he really believe his, these things or does his, he just say these things? So I'm not... Uh, I'm not I know we can't read his mind, but... I worked at Bellevue Hospital as administrator, but I certainly can't. That's a reference to New York. Right. I And Bellevue Hospital is, is a famous mental ward. That is correct. I, so I'm not qualified to determine his mental status. What I can say, that he is white and male and exercises extreme uh, disassociative disorder and an inability to separate fact from fiction mm -hmm. and act in a way that is responsible. Mm -hmm. As a businessman, uh, an alleged businessman, as someone who inherited money, which he's conflated those numbers... I mean, just every single thing, and I'm not. This is not about Donald Trump. This is about white race and mm -hmm. how racism impacts the people's decision about how they. And I think that Donald Trump is as much as at fault as those corrupt policemen. Mm. Right. So it's not just Donald Trump. Well, do you think the New York Times and other newspapers who, who printed that ad bear some responsibility for enabling that? You know, I, I wonder if it would happen today, right? With the mm. black man responsible for the New York Times, and I would argue probably not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think that you know, and you look at Donald Trump's own, and I don't really want to talk about him. His own attitude today about the Trump, uh, excuse me, about the New York Times. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, he's anti-New York Times, but, you know, mm -hmm. 1989, he was their best friend. You know, <laughs> I'm sure, were their biggest customer. I'm sure they were happy to get that money, yeah. right? And so we also have to be mindful of how you have to follow the money and the mm -hmm. money trail. Mm -hmm. And who's paying for what and what information comes out as a result of that or what information does not come out. Yeah. You know, it is the, the, the scholarship of someone like an Ava DuVernay, Right who goes back and does that detailed analysis and provides those stories for us, mm. which she's always done for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What type of work were you doing in 1989? Uh, I was an administrator at Bellevue Hospital. I oversaw uh, the billing department, outpatient billing in, in New York City at Bellevue Hospital. Yeah, yeah. As a manager, I came in as a manager. Either at work or in your social circles, what type of conversations were you having about this case? I'm really curious about your, your level of thinking and, and engagement around this back then. So, you know, when you're young and you're in New York City, you're mm. focused on being young and in New York City. Mm -hmm. And you, it's a side conversation. Oh, man, that's terrible what happened. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we, those of us who are informed and engaged, we certainly knew this may or may not have been the case. Mm. And we know that the media can manipulate a story and beliefs and values. We understand, we've always understood, uh, whether it's the New York Times, who, you know, is generally on the right side of issues... Um, may have been persuaded to, you know, no one knows what happened that night. Mm -hmm. And so Donald Trump to act in that way was clearly irresponsible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think that we have to be mindful of that even today, right? When we read or see things on the internet and digital media and social media, we have to say, is this correct? Mm -hmm. Maybe we see it a lot, but is it correct? Mm -hmm. Would it be fair to say, based on what you just said about being young and in New York City, where I don't want to use the word indifferent, but you had 
other priorities more so than... I'm going to send you to law school when I hit the lottery. (laughs) 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 You put it out there indifferent. No, I was always a race man. No, so I definitely was not indifferent to a false accusation or an alleged accusation. And, you know, you and I talked privately about the Jesse Smollett case where, where I don't believe... The information, I'm not calling it facts, (laughs) the information Mm. that is out there, Mm -hmm. right? Because the police are involved. And whenever Mm -hmm. the police are involved, the information, ladies and gentlemen, may not be correct. Did did the Central Park 5 case... did the Central Park Five case uh, uh, make you think differently about police? Did that? What was that? Because you, you you started that conversation talking about how you grew up thinking about police as your friends and next door. You said you don't see that anymore as life experiences. Was that the catalyst where you began to have a different change in attitude, or, or was it something that may happen before that? It was later that summer when I was with my friend Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. We were in my small town, Connecticut, driving, and we got pulled over mm. by the police in front of my mother's house. Mm. <laughs> so. So my love affair with the police and thinking that they were good and intentional people and doing the right thing quickly changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the year after that, I was pulled over by the cops and the year after that, I was pulled over by the cops. Mm. So I've always known that we have to be mindful of who we hire mm-hmm. as our police chief or mm-hmm. who we hire to be on the force or what they're doing, because not everybody was like my two coaches mm. uh, from, from, from football, right? Mm-hmm. Coach, coach uh, uh, the two coaches who came to my, to my rescue in that case, um, Coach Kitchens and, uh, you know, and, and his colleague. But I, I don't think that we should demonize one person over the other, but we do knew a, do, do a better job of screening and thinking and really asking police people, police personnel and staff to be mindful of what they say and how they conduct themselves. Mm. You know, and over and over and over, almost every day, we see some sort of police misconduct. Right. It's, it's, it's a pattern. It's right? a, it's, it is. It's a pattern. Speaking of patterns and practices, I wrote a piece um, Monday. All ego. All ego. Self-promotion. I wrote a piece on Monday entitled, um, uh, When They See Us is a Painful Portrait of an Enduring Practice. And the enduring practice that I was referring to was malicious prosecution of black men, black and brown men and boys. Um, and I, I referenced uh, a couple different cases, um, starting with the Central Park Five and then moving back to the Scottsboro Boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Nineteen thirty one in Alabama. Nine teenagers accused of raping two white women. White woman comes out and says, OK, I lied. I'm going to testify for the defense. And they still convict. <laughs> they still so convict. We're the laughing. Boys. That's all we can do. Because that's all you can do. Because uh, and also because it's so ridiculous. And it's it's so outrageous. It's an ongoing and repeated pattern. So I know that you are probably one of the biggest James Baldwin fans that I know. And I I, in the piece, I also talked about, though this was fiction. um, um, uh, Fani in Mm -hmm. If Bill Street Could Talk. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. He he was from Harlem. Mm -hmm. Same neighborhood as all the kids in the Central Park Five. And he was arrested for allegedly raping, wrongfully accused for allegedly raping a white woman. And in the movie that was adapted in 2018 um, by Barry Jenkins, they right. don't really show him getting out of prison. They just show this tireless effort. But 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 just thinking about the Scottsboro Boys and 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 if Bill Street could talk was what 12 years before the Central Park Five because Bill Street came out in '74 right. and it was '89. But I have a feeling that if Baldwin, who died in '87, was still alive in '89, he wouldn't have been surprised. By the news coverage, I'm, and not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have been very outspoken, even though he wasn't in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, these things are world events, and you know, obviously, the, the internet has made the world smaller. But you know, we can go all over the world, right? And mm. we can see that there is a historical and ongoing bias and pattern, not just in the United States, not just in New York City, 
not just in San Francisco or Los Angeles, mm. but in every single town and city, we can see that immediately when a black man rolls up into a scene or the police roll up on a black man, he's automatically accused of being guilty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without a trial. And the white male often or female has the authority because he or she has a badge to assume that mm. over and over and over. You know, as recent as last year, there was a policewoman who was leaving her. She came into her own home and she shot the black man who was in her house, <laughs> you know. Or she came in the wrong apartment. I don't know what she did, but she yeah. shot the black man, yeah. right? I, I mean, what? You know, and I, I have to go back to Birth of a Nation, the first one from mm. W.D. Griffiths. And it talks, it was really, it doesn't talk because it's a silent film, but it was the institutional and cultural framework to further white supremacy. Mm. And I love the fact that Ava DuVernay uses film in the way D.W. Griffiths moves his film. Mm-hmm. And that story talks about how black people are coons and buffoons and violent. And the sub-theme, you guessed it, is rape. Mm. Mm. So this is not new. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I say birth of a nation, again, I'm talking about 1918. Right. You know, and That then, was really the, the, the birth of, no pun intended, but that was really the, the birth of seeing this this brute stereotype that is as, as being prevalent in the media. That this, is correct. This archetype That's correct. of the black scary brute. That, That's you correct. know what I mean? And often played, which is even more offensive, I don't know which is more offensive, but played by white actors imitating black people or mm. what they thought were black people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this notion of, and I always say it, the, you know, the possibility of possibilities, the multiplicity of identity. We have not moved as far away from those tropes and stereotypes Mm. as we should have. It's the work I do. You know that. That's why you and I are friends, because I want to dismantle and debunk those myths and misconceptions Mm -hmm. using art. Mm -hmm. When they see us, that that name is actually really important. And Ava says she didn't want to use a Central Park Five because that was the name that the media gave them, sure, right? Sure, sure. She wanted to think about something different and she wanted to humanize them, which which is what the police and the prosecutors were unable to do. They were unable to view them as human because of the way they see us, right? Because the, inherently, they they view the black body, uh, particularly black men and boys. And I say the black body and the black mind. And the black mind as dangerous yeah. and courageable and again... Stupid and dumb. Stupid and ultimately guilty of something. And also a rapist. Right. How I mean, the, the work of, of trying to reframe the narrative wasn't as I don't know. It wasn't as big as, as it say like now. I think there's a great awareness that this was intentionally done, and that there's some people that are working to mitigate it. With your organization, the, the Brothers Network, how do you feel your role in that ecosystem plays out? I want to back up just a moment. We have someone sitting in the White House who says they like it when you grab them by the pussies. Mm-hmm. But we haven't deemed... I'm sorry? No, no, you're right. He grabs women by the pussies. He grabs women by the pussies, Mm -hmm. right? They like that. Mm -hmm. And yet, we don't have this trope on white males, Mm. right? We have day after day... And not just that, but just to add to you, with the whole Me Too movement, the majority of the men that you've seen that have been the perpetrators and the culprits in this are white men. That is correct. Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Donald Trump, and yet, we're not blanketing the race. We're not pathologizing. We're not asking whether they were fathers in the home. You know what I mean? (laughs) And none of that shit. Like, it's... I mean, that to me is an example well, of Kevin a Spacey privilege. certainly did have a father in the home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and nor have we demonized gay people, right? Gay mm. white males who are engaging in this, whether it's pedophile or not. Mm. But we haven't done that with the Catholic priests, mm. right? We haven't said all priests are pedophiles, mm-hmm. right? We haven't done that yet. Mm-hmm. Here in this, and we're not, are we? Well, maybe we will. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. then people will be a hell of a lot safer than they are now. Should, should, I mean, pick tongue in cheek, but 
we've seen the way the intentional way that white media portrayed black boys throughout history. Is it incumbent upon black media to do the same for to, to white men when the, when the situation is appropriate or, or is that just two wrongs don't make a right? Well, first of all, I don't know what black media is. Okay. I don't. I don't. Black owned media, I should say. I, I mean, who are you talking about? I mean, if we're here in Philadelphia, the Tribune, uh, uh, you know, black owned radio, AM stations. Uh, I mean, I can't say Jet and Ebony anymore. Well, they're still black owned by uh, venture capitalists. So, Jet, Ebony. I mean, is it is it? So, so you know, really, we have to look at the readership. Right, and we mm. have to look at the distribution, mm-hmm. and also the awareness of those individuals who might consume that kind of content and where, and where they are. So you know, I, I don't know. That's why I say I don't know what black quote unquote media is. I think Facebook is black media in some ways, right? Mm. So I think we have to be mindful of stereotyping or putting an expectation on someone who's not capable of delivering that message in the way that it should to a large and vast audience. So mm-hmm. that's the first piece. The second point I want to make about Trump and others is that, you know, this has gone on for so long. And I I don't think that the, quote, black media, which I don't believe in, needs to do tit for tat, to your point. But I think that we need to get people more engaged, all kinds of people, black and white. I hope that everyone will go out and see in their home and talk about uh, this Netflix series and talk about what happened, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and what we need to do to change it. Certainly, you know, it's not uh, our public officials' responsibility to change it because so many of them are corrupt, quite frankly. Mm. You know, but it is incumbent upon each of us to make sure that when we see a situation, you know, I love the fact that we have all of this on video now with handheld devices and phones mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. someone's being falsely arrested or accused or beaten, right? And if we can get those stories out, like Sandra Bland, mm. she did not kill herself. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was she defied this person and I suspect that Sandra Bland was murdered mm. because there isn't a value for the black brain. There mm. isn't a value for the black mind and it, the, the body and our soul. They see us as inhumane. And so when she says when they see us, that's one part of it. But do they recognize us? Mm. Do they see our humanity? Mm -hmm. Do they see our dignity that we have families, mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers? You know, we talk about black males. Do you feel like that's at the core of your work? It is the core of my work. It is the core of your work. To to humanize black men and black people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and I don't like to play who's the greater victim. But historically, in this country, black men have been demonized as much as women Mm. and so this continues this continues it's it's ingrained in the mindsets of white people Mm. not in every case not every white person but we live in a society where i was riding my bike some years ago here in rittenhouse square park and the black policeman came over to me and said i stole the bike and asked Mm. me for the receipt the bike Mm -hmm. was 10 years old purchased Mm -hmm. in maryland Mm -hmm. his assumption as a policeman in, 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 in uh, Rittenhouse Square Park is that if someone's riding a bicycle at 7 in the morning, they stole it. Mm. So it's not just white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black people are responsible. Latino people are responsible. Mm. All of us are responsible. And it really, the, the basis of this is humanity. Do we see this person's humanity? Mm-hmm. When we see the homeless person on the street, do we recognize his humanity? Mm-hmm. Or do we say, get away from me because you're dirty? Mm-hmm. Do we give him food? Do we give him money? What do we do? How, do? how do we know he even got there? Mm-hmm. Maybe he was the victim of child molestation from a priest. And that... Speaking of that, though, I mean, the, the, the actual person who did the raping, uh, I, I can't pronounce his, his first name, Mateus, Mateus Reyes, mm-hmm. um, who confessed to Corey Wise while mm-hmm. they were in prison together, mm-hmm. he had been molested. 
mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and severely abused. Mm-hmm. And so he turned into... So he was severely abused. The person who was severely abused and who, molested. Who did the rape me. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm making a joke. Not with not, not a joke, but I'm, I, I think that there's much trauma in the world is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And people act as if there's no trauma from boys who are molested. Look at R. Kelly. I'm not going to name names, right? <laughs> but we act as if there's no trauma. And yet we demonize some group of people who are black and male mm. as if those are the people who would do something like that. Such mm. a convict, such a crime. Mm-hmm. Innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Young guys having a great time in New York City. Mm. Running around in the park. Mm-hmm. Fresh air, you know, just hanging out with your boys. Mm-hmm. And your entire life is turned upside down over a false trope. Mm. You know, we are just days away from Father's Day. And um, so it's it's not lost to me that um, in the uh, series, you see uh, Antron. So beautiful. Antron McRae. Sure. Um, uh, one of the five teenagers uh, mm-hmm. who were wrongfully convicted mm-hmm. and eventually exonerated. He's in there talking to the officers. And, you know, all of these officers, most of these kids were all of these kids were talking to these officers alone. They were all minors. But, you know, their media, their pictures were all over the camera, uh, mm-hmm. the media, and they mm-hmm. were talking to officers and they, they were scared. They had been kept awake for 48 hours and starved and sure. they were desperate and they sure. were tired. They were exhausted. There's a scene in um, the movie where the father is, is told, mm-hmm. talked to by the officer. And apparently the officer has some dirt on him and says, you know, look, you got a good job. If this was to come out, you would lose your job. So you need to go in there and tell your son to cooperate and the next thing you know you see the father go in there and tells his son listen just confess tell these guys what they need to know misinformation misinformation tell these guys what they need to know so we can get out of here blah 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 um i watched a i watched a, a video of the original one of the first documentaries on Super Part five by ken burns in 2012 sure and mccray was talking he was still getting very shaken up when he talks about it mm-hmm. and he just was out 2012 before the settlement and he says he will never be able to forgive his father that his father was a coward for doing that and even even in the um in the document in the movie where you you see the father's dying antron can barely work up sympathy to give a fuck you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what, what is the you know looking at that as the context? What's the importance of of, of fatherhood and protecting black boys from the system? If you know, they're doing whatever they can, I mean, because eventually they got to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. But but what's the responsibility of the, of the father in this process? Yeah. So I'm not going to demonize the father because I don't know his full story. He right. could have been the victim, and I don't think I was demonizing. I'm just no. I'm yeah. saying I'm not okay. going to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just all I'm saying I'm not going okay. to. What I can say is that black men uh, have always been trying to do the right thing mm. for themselves, for their families. Mm-hmm. And the way that the, the person who's wrong in that is the fucking policeman mm. to use this as a strategy to get something that's not true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very hard for black men to get a job and mm-hmm. hold on to it and have a good job. Mm-hmm. Right. Just the day to day racism, just mm-hmm. getting on the train, the subway in New York to go to work. And, you know, you yourself might be accused of something you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And the pressure he had to provide for his family. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do that. So he made a decision based on the fact he was trying to provide for his family. I'm not Mm. defending the father, but I'm acknowledging how difficult it is to be a black man in America. Mm. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone articulate that perspective on the father as it relates to Anton. I I almost feel like the amount of pressure that black men are under just day to day. You're driving down the street in your car that you've worked for to the suburbs and you get pulled over by the cops. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you go back to being a little boy again. Or you're the mayor of Philadelphia with Mike Nutter who was pulled over. You know, uh, district attorney, former district attorney Seth Williams, both black 
males uh, who've reached uh, success in, in government, both, you know, driving cars that they own or, or city-owned cars, and they're continuing getting pulled over, you know? The former district attorney's on his way to the Army Reserves going to the <laughs> to the, um, the field, and, and he's getting pulled over. So imagine what Seth might do if that was a situation or Michael Nutter might, not, you know, might do or tell his, you know, if you have those experiences as we have as, as black men in our entire lives, you might tell your kid, you know what, just go ahead and confess. Because mm. it'll be over. Because this is traumatic for all of us. Mm. It is difficult for all of us. But how, how is that protecting them? To he, say, just go the, ahead and confess. The father didn't know. The, well, I tell you, I bring that story up in the beginning about my own time, you know, being held in a dark room mm. um, and having the wherewithal, not sure how I had it, I, I attribute that to my father, getting up and running the hell out of there and running to the police station to get the police to come back to arrest this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know. Mm. You know, I, I don't know wh- wh- what about me makes me able to do that and someone not. And, you know, if I have the, if I had a kid, which I don't, sadly, I would tell him, you never agree to anything. You never sign anything, mm. especially if you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if you did do it, you had to wait for the right legal counsel to come in. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to anybody, mm-hmm. because I would argue that probably 30, 40, 50 percent of the people who are incarcerated, right, in mass incarceration did not do it. Mm. There's, there's a scene... Right, but you're pressured into doing it. Yeah. We talk about this as a problem, mass incarceration, which further suggests that somehow black men are more criminally minded than someone else. Mm. Well, when the fucking police are against you to start mm-hmm. out with, mm-hmm. you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, intimidate the person who may not feel good about himself. Mm. And all the kids, you know, the, and I, I want to emphasize kids. These were 14, 15, and... and, and, and um, one was uh, uh, 16. Uh, and Corey. anytime an adult says something to you when you're that age, you respond to it because he's an adult. Mm. You know, they were, were they were kids, but in the documentary, in the movie, I keep calling it a documentary, in the, in the miniseries, there's a conversation between two of the five boys. This is the first time they all met. Because uh, uh, another thing is they didn't all know each other. You know, they were all from Harlem, but only three of them knew each other. That's correct. Right? The, uh, but not in the minds of the police. They assume all black people know each other. Right. So they were able to start playing each one off of each other, getting them to lie and make shit up. And, you know, you watch the original confession. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. So in the scene where they, they all get to the holding room, they all learn each other's names and then they start recognizing, oh, the cop told me you said this. Well, I lied on you. And he, and, and he was like, I'm sorry. And the other boy was like, well, I lied on you too, but blah, 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 blah. And you see the, the probably one of the youngest kids there, um, uh, I can't remember his name now, uh, Richardson, Kevin Richardson. Mm-hmm. He says to um, uh, Santana, Raymond Santana, mm-hmm. uh, he asks in, in the movie, why are they doing this like this? Which is to say, why are they lying on us? Why are they starving us? Why are they, mm-hmm. why are they manipulating us like this? And Raymond says, whatever way they ever do us. As in to say, you know, I'm young, but I'm old enough to know that this is par for the course. The norm. This is the norm. This is how they do black boys. And it and was... You, you talked about the Scottsboro boys. I mean, right. it's, 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 nothing, it's the nothing is new. And I would argue that in 2020, 2025, we'll have some other situation. And I was going to ask you that. I mean... America has made some progress, right? I mean, not to take anything away from all the troubles that we see. I never know. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know if we made but some progress. But it's very likely. From strange fruit, I mean, hanging we, people. But we've had a black president. We've had a black mayor. I don't three know, black mayors of Philadelphia. I don't know what that says about the police force's mentality. Well, that to your to that point. I don't know if those policemen who were there twenty years ago have changed their. Mm. Mindset. So it's very likely we could see another Central Park Five. It's that's not beyond the. the I think the every day we see it. Or don't see it, and it happens. Well, let me say this. I think that the police 
are less likely now to go through that process. They'll just shoot someone running across the street mm. if they think they may have done something. So mm. I, you say it's changed. I think that people are more territorial mm-hmm. and more afraid of African-American men today. No matter mm. what we see in sports, in the media, in the television, uh, you know, we just saw someone become a billionaire off of hip hop. But mm-hmm. I still think mm-hmm. for many people, they're afraid of hip hop. They're afraid of music. They're afraid of black men. Mm. I happen to be 6'5 and dark skinned with a full beard. Mm-hmm. I was at the museum the other day um, and people were jumping when they saw me. They mm. were afraid. Mm-hmm. And then the other group of people thought I was the security guard. Mm. They have just very little ideas. Either you're a security guard or you're a criminal. Mm. You're a security, and no shade to security guards. Mm-hmm. Either you're a security guard or you're a criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to my friend Chris here one day on the phone. And uh, he went into the to the store to get uh, change. The store mm. he's gone into his entire life. It happens to be Asian owned. Mm. And the shopkeeper pulled a gun on Chris. Mm-hmm. They've been going to that store for years, for decades. Mm-hmm. But what the shopkeeper saw was a black man running in with a hood on. Because <laughs> I was trying to make the bus, and he didn't need some change. And you know, you've even justified that your own mind. So he was trying. Oh, I had a hood on. You're a human being. Mm-hmm. You deserve to be treated with dignity. Well, and but grace. the same way you put yourself in the, the position of the father, I could put myself in the position of a shopkeeper oh. <laughs> who might have been robbed several times by somebody who looks like me. Get another store. In another who, neighborhood. And was traumatized. It was probably traumatized. Right? But then just wait for them to say, stick trauma. it up. Yeah. Just wait for them to say, stick, stick it up. Mm-hmm. Then pull out your gun. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, wait for you to. You, totally live, you be- live every day knowing that people are, the white people are afraid of you. Walking, people walk by are afraid of you. Like you're, you walk, you, you live with that awareness. I do. Mm-hmm. Is that a burden? I think to to be, and I'm going to really tell my business, so people turn in, tune up, turn on your radio. <laughs> turn the volume up. Turn the volume up. It's one of the reasons I love Europe so much. Mm-hmm. Not that I love white people so much, but I don't have that same burden when I'm in Europe. Mm-hmm. I'm treated like a human being. Mm-hmm. Like James Baldwin was treated like a human being. That's why he went to Paris. Mm-hmm. Because the same tropes and ideas about your racialized identity don't play out fully in every European city. Mm. It's much more international and they don't have the idea that you are somehow less than Mm. when you, I tell the story, I was, uh, I'm gonna talk really too much. I was in Scotland and I went into the store and then the shopkeeper walked out. So I was terrified, I was in the store all by myself. My heart was racing, I thought it was gonna accuse me of stealing something. And I said, hey, you left me in here by myself when he returned. And he said, oh, should I have gotten you a coffee? (laughs) <laughs> so I had to explain to him, being American, mm. we are unaccustomed to that kind of civility. Mm. We are unaccustomed to being treated as a human being. We mm. are unaccustomed to being treated as someone who's trustworthy. Mm. My work is trying to inform, engage, enlighten, uh, one, the humanity of black people, and also raise the consciousness of those who are not black about the multiplicity of identities that a black person can have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My work will never be done Mm. because we see every day a black boy running across the street. Do you feel like you've made a difference? I feel like I'm beginning to make a difference, Mm -hmm. but I think it is a life's work. Mm. Um, And every time I feel like I've made a difference, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, oh, we made it. Two steps forward, three steps back. (laughs) Exactly. That's how I feel. Mm. So, you know, to get up and keep doing it, I have to feel like I have some sort of a progress or some sort of impact. Um, And we tell other people's stories. You know, it's not my story. We tell other people's stories Mm -hmm. so that the larger world will recognize it. Mm. You know, know, it, it, it baffles my mind, quite frankly, that we are still in this position and in this situation today in in 2019 um, where a black man can be falsely accused of something 
and people will just believe it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the cases, not only in Philadelphia, but around the country where a cop shoots a, a, a black man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a black father, a black son, a, a black brother, a black uncle. And there isn't uh, any sort of inquisitive well, nature, like no one's questioning more. I mean, I, I, that's what I took away from the Central Park Five story mm-hmm. is that we have to question more. We have to question everything we see, particularly when it comes from police, and it's right. about black men. And particularly in Chicago. Particularly, <laughs> particularly Chicago. Chicago. Well, I, I believe the police about Jesse Smollett. Let me just say that. <laughs> that's a rarity. <laughs> you know, I, I think when there's a film and a video and there's, you know, camera work and, you know, I'm never sure, and the police are involved, I am never sure mm-hmm. that the information I'm getting is correct or accurate. Mm-hmm. I'm never sure. And mm-hmm. that's about any video, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can show me something all day, and I, I'm not sure that's correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something called YouTube, and people can change video, and, you know, I mean, this is not... Un- we can do it on our phones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can alter a video on your phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's a, I have a hard time believing that. Mm-hmm. Let me let me wrap up with actually just some, some of the some of the some of the questions about the politics of, of New York. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, at the time of the Central Park Five, Ed Koch, I think say his name, Ed Koch, right. was the mayor. That is correct. What kind of mayor was he that you remember? On the down low. What does that mean? He was homosexual. People didn't know it. Really? <laughs> breaking news. That's breaking news for me. <laughs> only, only for millennials is breaking news. Only for millennials is breaking news. Uh, what, what was that like? Was he complicit in all of this, or was he outspoken in saying, "Hey, let's"? Uh, I mean, what, what, what was the vibe from City Hall from all of this that you could recall? What I recall is that there was outrage over this woman's uh, safety and well-being. So they were more concerned about the woman than they were. I mean, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be concerned about right, the woman? Right. I mean, that was I natural. I think we're all concerned about the woman, right. right? Who's fine now? I mean, not fine, but she's. She's a runner. She's, she's still doing her thing. Yeah, but at that time, this was an outrage, and yeah. it still is an outrage if there was a woman in any park, anywhere in America. Would the outrage been the same if she wasn't white? Well, I mean, you saw the outrage from Sandra Bland. I'm joking. There was no outrage <laughs> when she allegedly killed herself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So many black girls and boys, excuse me, black girls, girls and women go missing every single day in Detroit and Chicago. There is no outrage. Mm. Black girls are raped routinely starting when we were enslaved Africans. Mm -hmm. White males would rape regularly African uh, uh, women who were enslaved Africans. Mm -hmm. That's where the Me Too movement ought to start. Mm. (laughs) Right. Remove the presidents off of Mount Rushmore if you want to take Cosby's name. I'm just saying, if you want to be taking Cosby's names off of college campuses, you take George Washington's name, Thomas Jefferson's name off of the buildings, off of the money. buildings, names, I don't care. (laughs) Right? I don't care. But we have to recognize that that's where molestation, abuse has started. And quite frankly, you know, I'm I'm back to the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, we we have some sort of responsibility to acknowledge that there's an ongoing problem in American society where people are committing violent crimes. They're actually doing it. But we also have a responsibility in America, you know, uh, citing FBI statistics to acknowledge... And those I believe, I'm joking. (laughs) To acknowledge that, A, white people, white men in particular, are dangerous. White males. White males, they're Mm -hmm. dangerous. And that, that they have history of being dangerous for as far back as the founding of this country. They, they're the ones with the history of being a group, with being colonizers, with being oh, rapists, yeah. with being murderers, okay. with being manipulators. And yet, again, that privilege defi- uh, defies them of having that title. Yeah, I, I don't think it's privilege. I think it is, it's, it's absolutely a privilege. I, I think it's naivete 
on what people don't want to believe. So they want to believe... Willing, willing naivete, right. though, and right? And I think that when you talk about, quote, the founding fathers here in Philadelphia, uh, we have to remember that the settlers came, if you will, quote, unquote, settlers came from the European countries. Those people were, in fact, criminals. Mm. That's and, the, and Europe and, and England in particular wanted to get rid of those people because mm. they were the dregs of society, and they said, you guys are criminals. Get on this boat and get out of here. Mm. And that's what they did. Mm -hmm. So we have inherently in the structure and the moral fabric of this country a criminal element from white people, from mm -hmm. Europeans. Mm -hmm. These were not the best citizens of, of, of European societies. These were not the top of the line. These are many of the people who came as settlers. Were, and also they wanted an opportunity to make themselves better in society. So what better way to do that than oppress the next group? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so inherent in the fabric of the founding of the United States is a criminal element. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people forget about that. Mm -hmm. And this country is so young and has made lots of mistakes mm -hmm. and will continue to make. It's the only country of its kind where people from different races mm -hmm. and nationalities and ethnicities are converged into one place as if it is one United States of America. And the fact is, it is not united. Mm. It's dis disjointed, disconnected, biased. And, and even the laws, the Constitution, who mm. could vote, who couldn't, if you were a landowner, if you couldn't, if you could read, you couldn't. There's always been an attempt to be divisive in this country. Mm. And unfortunately, many of the police, I, I can't speak for all police departments, but in some police departments, like in the city of Philadelphia, you don't even have to have a college degree. Right, anymore. Because they couldn't get the kind of people they wanted. Mm -hmm. So you're not a critical thinker, mm -hmm. but yet you have a gun. Mm. And you're forced to come into situations at a Starbucks and make decisions about mm. whether someone's doing right or wrong. And mm -hmm. what we see consistently, and thanks to, to, to Ava for doing that and telling those stories, and thanks to you, Chris, for telling those stories, is that inherently it is part of the fabric of this country to assume by the police and others that anytime there's a black man in a situation, he's guilty. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Presumed guilty. Well, he's guilty. Mm. And and the police person acts as jury and judge and justice and... And sometimes executioner. And executioner. Mm -hmm. you know, so, the, you know, I, my work will never be done. Mm. It, is, it is in the moral fabric of this country mm -hmm. for a citizen, in this case, Donald Trump, to call off, call out the, the, the current president, meaning Barack Obama's birth certificate. Mm hmm Donald Trump is like many people in this country who cannot believe that black people could actually achieve mm. and excel. Mm -hmm. It's ingrained in who he is. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how that can change, quite frankly. I'm doing my part to change it. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm doing my part as, as best I can with what little resources I have. I'm doing the best I can mm -hmm. to change that because yeah. it's worthy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, not until we have a conscious a shift in consciousness... You know, and, and, you know, let me let me be clear, I'll probably lose all my supporters, but it's not just <laughs> white people, it's black people who also assume that other black people are... Oh, absolutely. ...are, are thieves or criminals absolutely. or... Sometimes the black cops are the worst. Sometimes the black cops are the worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's, there's this argument that, you know, we can mitigate racist mm -hmm. policing and, and extrajudicial police killings mm -hmm. by hiring more black cops. And that's go, not the answer. That's not the answer. Right. The answer is, the problem is the system, right? The, the cops I don't know what the just, problem is. The cops well, are ahead. just... A, a cog mm -hmm. in that I, I think capitalism is the, is the problem but go mm -hmm. ahead Would because you, people well people want to have a good job work for the city or mm -hmm. the state mm -hmm. and collect a pension after 30 years and they'll do whatever they have to do to, to, to do that mm -hmm. I don't think most police 
people want to be police. Right. They, they fell they into that the job. They want the benefits. They want. I won't know. say names, but I know that one of the former, <laughs> <laughs> one of the former deputy commissioners here at the police department in and, Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, when mm-hmm. I asked why he got into the department, he mm-hmm. said he got his bitch pregnant. And he needed benefits. <laughs> and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there you have it. You know? So if we could get less bitches pregnant, you know what I mean? We we might be okay, right? Mm. If we if we and in other parts of the world, like in New Zealand, the police don't carry guns. Yeah. Right? So it may be a homogeneous society in some ways, but this is driven by the culture of fear in the United States, yeah. right? I got to fear you, my neighbor. I got to fear you. I get a home security system. I mean, they make a ton of money on home security systems. Yeah. People aren't really breaking into houses like that. Yeah. yeah. Nor have they ever really done that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the neighborhoods that have the home security system, they don't really do that. Mm-hmm. But they're making a killing on that. Mm-hmm. Let me wrap up with just your thoughts on on, on history. And, and, more, and more specifically, it, it appears that everything old is is new again and for a new generation you know the, my generation those right under me you know who who weren't not, alive or who weren't conscious no who weren't i was i was um Don't say okay <laughs> <laughs> i was just learning how to walk when the center park five was arrested i'll just say that <laughs> um I don't even like calling them the Central Park Five because that sounds like a gang to me. Right. But go ahead. Right. Uh huh. You know these stories that that shaped in a lot of part of our country and our politics from from the Central Park jogging case, Watergate, the move bombing of 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 eighty um, four. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're all really relevant again now. You know, it, it, you know, is that just the cyclical nature of history, or is there something particularly unique about this moment that's that's bringing all these historical stories and forces back to life? Well, I, I can't really speak to to that because those those the things you've mentioned have always been relevant for me. It's okay. the, it's the basis and the origin of the work I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can't speak to that. Maybe you know, I certainly think this movie is creating this this what Ava DuVernay as everything she creates creates a dialogue. Um, I, I think it's relevant. And I also think some people think that slavery lasted for 15 years. Mm. Right? So I think the, the contextualization, how you contextualize this information and what happened. Right? Also, people believe now, when they see a black man associated with criminals, is why I don't watch the, the local news, they immediately assume the black person is guilty. Mm. So I don't know what is happening, that people are sort of retelling these stories. I think... Ava did something brilliant and told the story from a different perspective and that's what she always does right whether it was Selma or whatever and that's an important thing to do so this is why the arts are so important Mm. because it gives you uh, the creativity and the license and you get an audience that's listening and learning and paying attention and we get to do a podcast about it Mm. we get to write an article about it it starts a conversation and we gotta make sure also the right people are in the room and that's not necessarily your mayor or your police chief it's your every average everyday citizen who's right. going to make this difference. So it's, to that point, yes. you know, I've seen a lot of screenings that are going to be happening around the country, mm-hmm. even some here in Germantown. Mm-hmm. But particularly getting black boys and teenagers to watch this. Do you think that's the right people to be in your room? You know, I know and, one and, of my best not, friends wants her 16-year-old. And not the cops? I mean, I, I don't well, know. I don't know. Because if the cops are in the room, I don't think uh, we're going to get anywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this should be a screening for, for cops of this One of the of this proposals film. that I made for the Brothers Network was to have uh, the Philadelphia police and anybody else who wants to participate come and engage with us so they can see stories and narratives and hear them and experience them uh, at the Barnes Foundation, right, which is centered around uh, black history and culture because Dr. Barnes was interested in that. Um, so I think not until we get the police in the room mm. 
will this change? Mm-hmm. Right? And what's and the conversation that will be had if they're in the room? Not every black man's a criminal, so hold your fire. Mm. Check yourself. Mm-hmm. Check what you come into work with. Check your consciousness. Check that you didn't get onto the basketball team when you were in high school, and this black guy did, but that's not... You don't have to take that out 25 years later on somebody. Right. Right? You watch sports. Maybe you want to jump higher and run faster. You don't take that out on, you know, right. anybody. Because that's, that's not that's not the issue. Yeah. You know, I think there are people that are working through a lot of trauma. And I'm talking about white males who are sometimes policemen. Mm-hmm. They're working through a lot of internal trauma. Mm-hmm. A lot of internal insecurity. Certainly the president of the United States is someone who is insecure. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, to and having the, in this case, the money to go after these innocent black young black men to demonize them in the New York Times is a way of trying to persuade the larger world that these people were guilty of something they didn't do. Mm. So it's not black boys don't need to be in the room. And that's the misnomer for me or the misinformation. We always want to bring the black man into the room and have him watch this. He's already demonized. He's already experienced this. Mm. He knows it better than we do. Mm. We're in Rittenhouse Square Park. I was riding my bike and here the policeman, as I said, comes over to me and says, show me the receipt on that bike. Mm -hmm. And was ready Mm -hmm. to arrest me. Mm I was on my bicycle another day. I told you the story, Chris. I was riding around uh, uh, the park. A guy, white guy, fell off his motorcycle. I jump off my bicycle, run into the street, direct traffic so that no one hits him. The police show up and the police take out the handcuffs to arrest me. (laughs) The guy on the ground says, he just saved my life. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. So in the policeman's mind, if he sees a black person on a motorcycle or a black person on a bike or a black person in the store... He immediately assumes, like the shopkeeper who pulled the gun on you, that they're there to be robbed. Mm. That's not the case. Mm. So my work is to show the multiplicity of identity mm-hmm. for the average everyday person. Mm-hmm. Right? When, when, a, when a black man's walking in Harlem with a backpack, he's coming from Columbia University. Mm. He's not coming to rob you. Mm-hmm. You know, my work, you were asking me about my work earlier, and I had a T-shirt line for a very short time. Um, and it I said, never knew that. Oh, I don't tell you everything. <laughs> That's the next podcast. And it said the T-shirts were black, and they said, "No white lady, I don't want your pocketbook." Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I sold some of those T-shirts, and then decided to do something else. But because you know, when I get into an elevator, white people, white women, immediately grab their purse, absolutely, as if I want it, absolutely. You know, um, and I think this happens, you know, all the time for everybody everywhere Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form and white people may not be aware of it that Mm -hmm. they're even doing it Mm -hmm. so again when we can you know put up tropes of black men as pharmacists and doctors every single day and that seeps into the consciousness Mm. of white people whether it's in philadelphia or new york city um then we'll we'll be somewhere Mm. you know yeah and so again the black boys don't need to be in the room we Mm. already know Mm. what the the bias is but don't you think there's value of black teenage boys seeing the, I mean, not that they need to be in the room, but don't you think it's important that they are, are screening this film because they, A, they need to know their history. B, they need to know that, hey, when you talk to, to the police, have a lawyer or don't say shit, right? I mean, aren't there lessons that they, they, they don't need to be the, the catalyst for the conversation, but I think that there are some lessons to be learned, if nothing else, a general awareness of history. What, my childhood best friend that I always tell you about, um, he never heard of Central Park Five until he watched this uh, miniseries on Sunday and he was blown away and, and he was so unaware of this that he didn't actually think that the, the footage of Donald Trump in the, the movie was actual his footage he thought that might have been an actor he didn't realize that Donald Trump had been a, around that long 
and have played that part of, uh, in, in social culture, pop culture. So, I mean, don't you think that, that it's also important that black boys, black teenagers watch this too? Not that they are imperative, but that there's some value in it? I think everyone needs to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh, fair enough. <laughs> I think everyone needs to watch it. Yeah. I don't think one group over the other. Okay. Because I don't... I well, don't... I think police more so than anybody, but... <laughs> As long as they're going to comprehend it, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And not think that's a strategy or a technique to get mm. people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there has to be a watch and then a discussion. Uh, a watch and some dialogue. Mm. A framed discussion, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't want black boys to think that they're criminally, uh, they're afraid all the time because we are already. You know, this is what's going to happen to them because that's traumatic. That's right. trauma. I, you know, I, I want cops to watch and say, this is wrong. I want white women to watch and say, this is wrong. If you can't remember after a horrible incident, then just say, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I, don't I mean, she did. She testified that she had no memory. But, but then she never said these were the boys who did it. But she there were no had, eyewitnesses. She, she had a responsibility to say, "I don't remember. I don't think it's them. Let's not do anything. Let's wait until we go after somebody else." Because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, so, I think so the latter part too, is right, but she too, did say, me, "I don't remember." That. I don't remember anything. We're always saying, "Believe the victim. Believe the victim." The victim mm. in this case are the black men. Those are the victims. But she was also a victim. She was left for dead. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't want to do the oppression Olympics, but I think they were both victims in different ways. She was attacked, she was raped, and the wrong people were blamed for it. She lost out years on her life, I'm sure, but uh, by rehabilitating, she eventually went back to her investment banking firm. But these boys lost six years of their life, right? Neither one of these people will ever be the same after what happened on 1989. And so I think everyone should watch it. Everything should watch it. Mm-hmm. Final final words and thoughts on, on the um, the topic of the Central Park Five and just the issue of, 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 of black men and boys and also add how people can get in touch with you and donate to your work if they'd like to. Uh, my name is Gregory Walker. If you don't know that, I'm the Global Creative Director of the Brothers Network. Uh, Chris, thank you for the opportunity to sure. share a little bit more about arts and culture and the meaning that art and culture has on our society and how we can be impacted by it. And I'd really like to say thank you to Ava DuVernay and her entire mm-hmm. team for telling these stories for us, um, about us, but more importantly, to the larger community. Uh, I can be reached. Uh, I'd like to give a phone number because the Brothers Network is high touch. Tactile. High touch. <laughs> <laughs> so if you it's an call, inside joke, guys. <laughs> if you call, someone will pick up the phone. And if we don't, we'll call you right back. 267 area code 334 4897. That's the Brothers Network office line, not my direct personal line. 267 334 4897. And if you want to reach me by uh, Gmail and talk about my comments or have something to say about what we talked about today, that'd be great. Uh, and you can get me at Gregory T. Walker at gmail.com. G R E G O R Y. The letter T is in terrific. Walker, W A L K E R at gmail.com. Again, Global Creative Director of the Brothers Network. Thank you very much, Chris. Sure, and also follow Gregory on Twitter at TheBroNet. Uh, They tweet out great stuff, and I'm sure when you email Gregory, uh, ask him to add you to their email list uh, so you can get some of their great editorials. Uh, For you guys, you can also follow me across social media at FloodTheDrummer. It's spelled just like it said, F-L-O-O-D-T-H-E-D-R-U-M-M-E-R. If you're an iPad, iPhone user, add TechBook Online, my news organization, to your Apple News Reader. Uh, and, uh, and that's all we got for you. So for Gregory Walker, until next time, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm drumming for justice. Thanks so much for listening.